been learning considerable uh, in this series on the Passover days of unleavened bread, this night to be much observed, and so on. And as a brief review, we've covered quite a few Old Testament scriptures. And as one writer admonished to do, start at the beginning. So we went very carefully through Exodus 12 and 13 and found that we had not understood Exodus 12 and 14. We had not looked at Passover as verse 14 tells us of Exodus 12. Uh, it is a feast. It is a memorial. It is a, an ordinance forever. And we find in Leviticus 23, 4 and 5 that it is also a holy convocation. And again, it is said there, it is a feast as well. Those are things that we overlooked. So we went carefully through Exodus 12 and 13, and I think began to see very clearly that that is the night to be much observed. Passover night is the night to be remembered. And last week I went through many scriptures showing you that that is indeed what God caused to be remembered throughout the rest of the Bible, both the Passover night and the night of the firstborn being killed and their deliverance and being thrust out. And secondarily, the thing that was remembered was the crossing of the Red Sea, which I think likely happened on the seventh day of unleavened bread. Those are the two days and or nights that God caused to be remembered and memorialized in Scripture throughout the entire Bible. Now, for, as a brief summary, we can see this in Exodus 12 and 13 when we carefully examine all of it, not just our careful little path through it. And we went through that, so I'm not going back there uh, today. But we also combined Exodus 13:3 with Numbers 8:16 through 17 to show clearly that God says the official coming out of Egypt was the night of the 14th. That's when the order came. That's when the thrust came. And from that night on, they were on their way out. Now, what about Leviticus 23.6 and Numbers 28.16, which are the only two that anyone can find that would seem to indicate that these other scriptures are being viewed incorrectly? And there, we examine Deuteronomy 16.1 through 8, and... If you accept Deuteronomy 16, 1 through 8, as written, and we went through it last week, you see that Deuteronomy itself calls Passover the first day of unleavened bread. The Passover you sacrifice on the first day at even. And then it splits it into that first day and then adds the other six, the last of which, the seventh day total, is the last day of unleavened bread. So the first day is a holy day, the Passover day, and the seventh day. But he splits the feast into two parts, day one and days two through seven. Uh, then when you go to Leviticus 23, verses five and six, it does the same thing. It mentions the Passover first, since it was the premier day. Virtually everything that happened that was important happened on the 14th. Both the Passover itself, the beginning of the day, or the beginning of the first evening, and then the eating of the Passover that night, the killing of the firstborn, the order to leave, with their shoes on, their loins girded, their staff in their hand as they ate the Passover, and from that night forward, they were leaving. They spoiled Egyptians the next day, they marched to Ramses, where they lined up, got counted, and departed from there to Succoth on the 15th. So everything in Exodus 12 and 13 that was important happened on the night of the, or on the 14th, one end of the day or the other. And God singles out the first day, Passover day, specifically as a feast, a memorial, and an ordinance forever in Exodus 12, verse 14. Then in the next chapter, without changing breath or mentions anything about a different night to be much remembered, he talks about a seven-day festival. So there are really, in one sense, are two feasts there, just like there are with the Feast of Tabernacles. Feast of Tabernacles, the seventh day, you have seven days, and you add the eighth, and it's considered part of it, and the holy days are the first and the eighth, not the first and the seventh. So it's sort of a combined feast, and here you have the same thing. He calls Passover a feast, and then he calls unleavened bread a feast as well. But Deuteronomy 16 shows that you separate it 
first day and on the last six days. Then you can understand Leviticus 23.6 in that light, that he mentions the Passover first, and then he mentions the rest of the days of unleavened bread. But Leviticus 23.6 does not call the 15th the first day of unleavened bread. It says the Feast of Unleavened Bread. But what he's doing, he's showing that the Passover stands head and shoulders above the rest of the days of unleavened bread, and that's the day Christ was killed. That's the day that was the most important. The rest are just days where we continue putting sin out of our lives. But that Passover is what made it possible, and that is the night they were delivered and actually began coming out of Egypt or out of sin and symbolism. So, if you look at it from that standpoint, all the scriptures agree. Exodus 12 and 13, Deuteronomy 16 then fits, as we went through last week, and then you can understand Leviticus 23, 5 and 6 more clearly. That one is a little awkward, yes, but for all the scriptures to fit, it has to fit that way. There's no other way for it to go together. If you don't see it that way, then you have to throw out part of it. And they've thrown out Deuteronomy 16, 1 through 8, saying this doesn't fit the scriptures. No, it didn't fit their theory. It didn't fit our former belief. And therefore, we had to say somebody somewhere messed it up. No. Understand Exodus 12, 13. Then understand Deuteronomy 16, and they fit together. Then Leviticus 23, 6 fits a whole lot better. It may be a little awkward the way it's written, but maybe God intended that. Maybe God wanted us to be taken and snared and deceived for a while, and then he would show us the truth. Now, let's go on from there to the New Testament, because this is very, very important to see if the New Testament fits what we have been reading in the Old Testament. Now, we've done some pretty fancy dancing on, on our tippy toes over the years to explain some of the New Testament scriptures to make them fit what we thought was the proper order of Passover and Days of Unleavened Bread, with the 15th being the night we much observed. But, you may notice as we go through here, and I'll say it now, there's nothing said about a separate night to be much observed in the New Testament. Nothing at all. The only night that is mentioned is the Passover night. You can't find a night to be much observed apart from Passover in the New Testament. It just isn't listed. If that was a day that was supposed to be memorialized, kept, revered, made holy or whatever, why is it even mentioned in the New Testament? I think that goes along with those scriptures I read last week showing that God made Passover night a memorial. He talked about it through the rest of the scriptures. Now when we get to these New Testament scriptures about everything that happened to Christ and the Passover itself, it's all on the 14th. And there's no other night to be much observed mentioned. But we'll get into that now. Let's go first of all to Matthew 26. I basically just want to go through all the scriptures about the Passover in the New Testament so that we have all the bases covered here. Matthew 26, and let's begin in verse 1. And it came to pass, when Jesus had finished all these sayings, he said to his disciples, You know that after two days is... The feast of the Passover, the feast of, isn't in the Greek, but after two days is the Passover, and the Son of Man is betrayed to be crucified. So that would be on the 14th then, because the Old Testament tells us that they have the Passover on the 14th. So two days from when he said this would be the Passover, and he was crucified the next day on the 14th. I think all hands agree on that. Uh, the Jews just keep the 15th Passover. And some people in the church are becoming 15th Passover people. But there is nothing in Scripture to uh, justify that. But he was crucified on Passover Day. I want to tie in 1 Corinthians 11 with that. We're coming back to Matthew, but 1 Corinthians 11. Let's see what Paul says. 1 Corinthians 11 Verse 23, For I have received of the Eternal that which also I delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. So the only night that is mentioned is the night he was betrayed. That was after they had the Passover service at the beginning of the evening. Our, uh, 
killed at sundown and prepared through dusk till dark. That was the same night. Same night he betrayed, was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take ye, this is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. Well, when are we supposed to do it? When he did it? Is that a clue? First uh, John 2, 6 says, We should walk as he walked, or do as he did, is the meaning there that John has. So if he took it at the beginning of the 14th, before he was betrayed, and the Jews kept it the 15th, what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to keep it when he did. Because he is the example that we should follow in his steps, is another scripture. So the same night in which he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take ye, this is my body which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also he took the cup, when he had supped, there are those who say he didn't eat that Passover supper that night, or drink of the wine, or the bread with them because he wouldn't do it again until he was in the kingdom. But here it shows that he did eat the Passover supper that night that he was betrayed. There are those who will tell you that he that want to keep the 15th that say this wasn't the Passover, it was a pre-Passover dinner. Give me a break here. A pre-Passover dinner. Is that the best excuse you can find for it being on the 15th? Is that this was a pre-Passover? No, it says the same night he was betrayed. That would have had to have been the 14th. He supped and broke the bread, passed the wine around. That is the Passover service, and it is the change of symbols. And it happened on the 14th. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, verse 26, you do show the Lord's death till he come. When did he die? On the 14th. So we memorialize it and do it on the same day that he died. And he says in verse 25, I guess I overlooked that, this cup is the New Testament in my blood. So he's instituting the New Covenant, the New Testament, that very evening, the 14th. And it was the night he was betrayed. It wasn't the next night like the Jews kept for a Passover. It was that same night. Well, this sermon is not really about the 14th Passover, but it certainly ties in with it, and I think we need to prove and show that the 14th, the beginning of the 14th, is the Passover service, and he was killed on the 14th. Now, they want to do it in such a way that they could kill the Passover afternoon on the 14th, about 3 in the afternoon, because that's about when Christ died. But if we were to go through it with him every year and rehearse it, he started the rehearsal by keeping the Passover at the beginning of the 14th. Now, that was according to God's plan all along. If he had wanted a, an afternoon of the 14th Passover, why didn't he say so in Exodus 12? Why did he say to do it at the beginning of the 14th, ben at the beginning of the 14th? Because he knew a long time ahead of this that he would be sacrificed, he would be betrayed after they took the Passover. And that the disciples could rehearse this with him. They could observe it. They could watch it after they had been offered the terms of the New Testament or the New Covenant. It wasn't offered to most people. He only offered it to 12 people that night. Eleven took him up on it and one betrayed him. He didn't offer it to the rest of the other 70 disciples or to the women or how many ever were actually followers at that time. He only offered it to those 12 as a beginning, because they would form the nucleus of the New Testament church. So he changed it the previous evening, and then that night and the next day he went through the whole thing. They were there to observe, to watch. Now why try to kill the lamb at the time that the lamb died, when the lamb himself kept it the night before, and told us to do as he did, to walk as he walked, and to do it in remembrance. What was Paul doing? He was doing it in remembrance the same night that he was betrayed, beginning of the 14th. Had to have been, because the rest of the 14th, he was really, really busy, and then the Jews tried to get it done, as we'll see, before their day started, their Passover. They wanted it finished by then, lest the people make an uproar. So it had to be the 14th.
All right, let's go to Matthew 26, 17. Here's one we the tipsy toes around for years. Matthew 26, 17. Now the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the disciples came to Jesus, saying to him, Where will you that we prepare for you to eat the Passover? Now they say, some, that the day and feast of is not in the original Greek here. It doesn't make a hill of beans difference. Read it without those. Now the first of the unleavened, the disciples came to Jesus, saying to him, Where will you that we prepare for you to eat the Passover? Now the first of the unleavened, are we talking about what here? Days, obviously. Because that's what Exodus 12 says. Seven days of unleavened bread. So they came on the first of the unleavened, and asked, where will you that we prepare for you to eat the Passover? So, the first of unleavened, or the first day of unleavened, and we'll see that Mark corroborates this, uh, was Passover day. They killed the Passover, they ate the Passover on the first of unleavened. Now, someone will say, well, they had to have done this on the 13th. Actually, the way the Greek is worded here, allows for as the first of unleavened bread approached uh, because they were to kill the Passover at sundown and dress it between then and dark. And the Greek allows for that. As the 13th ended, the 14th was about to begin. They says, where do we do this? Well, Christ already had that figured out. We'll see that. There was already a place prepared. Well, he tells them that in the next verses. Where will you that we prepare for you to eat the Passover? Does it say pre-Passover? No, it says the Passover. It doesn't say the Jews' Passover. It says the Passover. John makes a point of showing that what the Jews were doing and not the Passover. And he said, Go into the city to such a man, verse 18, and say to him, The Master says, My time is at hand. I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. Does that say the Passover or a pre-Passover dinner? Now, when the evening... Why did they need a rehearsal? They've compared this to a wedding rehearsal, where they have a rehearsal before a wedding. That's, that's the logic here. No, it says the Passover. Now, when the even was come, sundown arrived. He sat down with the twelve, and as they did eat, he said, Truly I say to you that one of you shall betray me. And then it goes on to tell what happened the rest of that night, and we don't need to, to do that. We're just establishing that they came as the first day of unleavened bread was coming and said, where do we eat the Passover? Now that squares with Exodus 12. It squares with Ezekiel 45:21. It, it squares with everything in the Old Testament. And it says it's right here at the beginning in the New Testament. Now let's go to Mark. Mark 14. Speaking of the same time here, that uh, Matthew was speaking of, after two days, remember it said there, two days before the Passover, after two days was the feast of the Passover. Now they say the feast shouldn't be in there, but we've already established in Exodus 12:14 that the Passover indeed is a feast. Everyone that argues against what we are seeing here has said the Passover isn't a feast. But it is. And remember also that all of God's feasts begin and end with a holy day. Every one of them. Passover does. Passover the days of unleavened bread. Passover day is the first day. It's a, it's a feast, so it has to be a holy day. The seventh day of unleavened bread is part of the feast. It is also a holy day, ending the days of unleavened bread. Pentecost begins and ends a feast with a holy day. Trumpets the same. They're only one-day festivals, but they begin and end with a holy day. Uh, trumpets and atonement do the same, and now the Feast of Tabernacles begins and ends with a holy day. So if Passover is a feast, if it fits the mold and the pattern of all the other feast days, it has to be a holy day. And in fact, in Leviticus 23, 4 and 5, it is called a holy day, a holy convocation, and a feast together. First feast and first holy day mentioned in Leviticus 23, uh, five is Passover. So this fits. After two days with the feast of the Passover, 
and of unleavened bread. It lumps them together, links them, doesn't it? It doesn't say they were separate or on different days. It just mentions them together here. After two days was the Passover and of unleavened bread. It almost sounds like they started at the same time, doesn't it? For two days was the Passover and unleavened bread. It doesn't say it was the Passover and then came the days of unleavened bread, does it? And the chief priests and the scribes sought how they might take him by craft and put him to death. But they said, not on the feast day, lest there be an uproar of the people. Now, they were bound and determined by this verse to get this done before their feast day, weren't they? Now, this played into God's hands beautifully. Because he had preordained that Christ would die on the 14th. The Jews didn't want to kill him on their feast day, not understanding God's feast day was the 14th. So they killed him on the day that God had intended all along, on the 14th. And when that ended, they took him down off the stake fast so that they wouldn't corrupt their holy day. So God got it done when he wanted it done, not when the Jews wanted it done. Well, the Jews wanted it done then, too, because they didn't want to profane their Sabbath. They were afraid that since the custom of the people was to keep the 15th, if they killed him on the 15th, there would be trouble. So they killed him on the 14th, got it out of the way, so the Jews wouldn't create problems. Now, let's go back to verse 1. After two days was the feast of the Passover. So this is... One day, it's, it's two days before the Passover, okay? So they're discussing this ahead of time, and they didn't want to kill him on the feast day. Therefore, they only had one day to get it done. If they were talking about this two days before, they had to do it the next day because their feast would be then on the 15th. So they had to be having this conversation in verse 1 on the 13th, kill him on the 14th, keep their feast day on the 15th. So this was two days before the feast of the Passover that they would keep. Now, let's go to Mark 14:12. Let's see if this makes this very clear. Mark 14:12. And the first day of unleavened bread, when they killed the Passover, this had to be uh, Christ and his disciples killing the true Passover. Because the Jews did it the next day. The first day of unleavened bread, when they killed the Passover, his disciples said to him, Where will you that we go and prepare that you may eat the Passover? Here again, the Greek allows for, as the 14th approached, they asked him, and then at even they sat down and ate. Let's go on in verse 13. And he sends forth two of his disciples, said to them, Go into the city, and there you shall meet a man bearing a pitcher of water. Follow him. And wherever he shall go in, say you to the good man of the house, the master says, Where is the guest chamber where I shall eat the Passover with my disciples? Those are Christ's words. What he said, they're quoting him. Where shall we go, or where shall I go? What does it say here? I'm quoting. Where shall I eat the Passover with my disciples? He was going to eat the Passover that night with his disciples. And his disciples went forth and came into the city and found, as he said, and they made ready the Passover. And in the evening he comes with the twelve, and as they sat and did eat, he said, one of you will betray me. And this obviously was before the Jews' Passover, because it had to have been the night before, because he was betrayed that night, killed the next day, and they had him down before their Passover started. But the point we want clearly to make here is that the Passover was on the first day of unleavened bread. And in Mark 14, there are no italics whatsoever. This is what the Greek literally says. So it corroborates Matthew, and it also adds to Matthew by not having anything italicized. It is in the original Greek. So the Passover was killed on the first day of unleavened bread. How clear can you get? I mean, that's, that's just black and white, so many words. Now I have one here. Uh, Mark 15, verse 40, 42. Now when the even was come, because it was the preparation day, that is the day before the Sabbath, uh, this is when 
Joseph of Arimathea came and took the body. Now, the evening was almost there, and it was the preparation day. Well, it had to be the preparation day for what? The Jews' Passover, because Christ had already kept the Passover the evening before with his disciples and been betrayed and killed. So this preparation day couldn't be preparation day for God's Passover. It had already happened. It was a preparation for the Jews' Passover before their Sabbath. People try to tell me that this preparation day, the next day was the Sabbath, that would be the 15th. So therefore we should keep the first day of unleavened bread on the 15th. Well, no, that doesn't work, because if it was if the 15th was a true day to keep as a holy day, then the preparation day had to precede it, and that's the day that Christ was killed. So the preparation day for the true Sabbath, if it was the first day of unleavened bread, had to be the day before that, didn't it? When did Christ tell them to go prepare? The day before, the, the evening, or almost evening, just before. Sent two disciples, they came back, everything's ready, then they all went in, killed the Passover that night. So the preparation day for the first holy day, the first day of unleavened bread, was on the 13th. The Jews had theirs on the 15th because they kept the Passover on the 15th. So it wasn't God's Sabbath they were preparing for. It was their Sabbath and their preparation day. We'll see that John calls it the Jews' preparation day. Not God's preparation. All right, let's go to Luke 2. Luke 2, and here I want verse 41. Uh, this is when Christ was growing up. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the Feast of the Passover. Interesting. It's not just the Jews that call it the Feast of the Passover. Here, it's just called, in Scripture, the Feast of the Passover. That squares with Exodus 12:14, where God says the Passover is a feast. And when he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem after the custom of the feast. Now, they went up according to Jewish custom. Christ had not come and showed them anything different. They were living in a Jewish culture. So they obviously were going up according to the custom of the Jews. And we'll see, as we get into what we've already seen in Matthew, we'll see it in the other Gospels, the Jewish custom was wrong. And the Jewish custom is wrong to this day. Christ condemned them soundly for virtually everything they did. Now the question might come up, was then Christ keeping the Passover on a wrong day? I think that is a possibility. Would that have been sin to him? No. He wasn't at the age of accountability. He had not yet started teaching that the Jews were doing anything wrong, and his family was living in a Jewish culture following Jewish customs. That's all they knew. Now, there were some people in that culture, however, who were keeping the 14th. Some were keeping the 14th. Some were keeping the 15th. I suspect that God chose those who would have kept it on the correct days. There's nothing in here that shows us. There are only two choices. Either his parents were keeping it at the right time, as some Jews did, or they were keeping it at the wrong time, but Christ was not held accountable since he was a child and it would not have been sin to him. I prefer rather to think that his parents were probably keeping it at the right time, going up keeping the Passover custom, but they may have done it on a different day. Now, let's go to Luke 22, verse 1. Luke 22, verse 1. Now, the Feast of Unleavened Bread drew nigh, which is called the Passover. Who called it that? Just the Jews? No. We saw it called that in Second Chronicles 35, in Ezekiel 45, 21, in Exodus 12, and in Exodus 13, 3, combined with Numbers 8, 16 through 17, we saw it called that in uh, Deuteronomy 16, about verse 6. And we've seen it several times already in the New Testament, that the Passover was called, or the unleavened bread was called the Passover. If you put all the scriptures together and believe them, there's no problem here. If you keep trying to separate Passover 
from the seven days of unleavened bread entirely and keeping eight days, then you have to explain around this. But if you accept the Old Testament record, plug it in here, it fits. No problem. Passover is unleavened bread, and unleavened bread is Passover. God just separates Passover out for specific, or specifically as a memorial. And the other six days we keep putting sin out of our lives. Now let's go down to verse 7. Then came the day of unleavened bread when the Passover must be killed. That's three times now we've read that. And essentially the same words. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all say the same thing. Then came the day of unleavened bread when the Passover must be killed. So Passover is an unleavened day. Inescapable. And he sent Peter and John, saying, Go and prepare us the Passover that we may eat. Not something the Jews are doing, something Christ and his disciples were doing. All right, now let's go to, let's see, I already got verses 7 and 8. Luke 22, verse 11. This continues the story that we saw in Matthew and Mark. As you say to the good man of the house, the master says to you, where's the guest chamber where I shall eat the Passover with my disciples? Not a pre-Passover. He'll show you an upper room furnished, make ready. And they went and found as he had said to them, and they made ready the Passover. And when the hour was come, he sat down and the twelve apostles with him. So obviously it was just before sundown when they got the preparations all made. They sat down and did the Passover when the hour was come, that is at sundown. Now let's compare for a moment Matthew 27:62 with a couple of other scriptures. Matthew 27, verse 62. Verse 61, there was Mary Magdalene and the other Mary sitting over against the sepulcher. Now the next day that followed the day of the preparation, the chief priests and Pharisees came together to Pilate. Now, Christ was already dead. They were sitting by the tomb, okay? Now, the next day that followed the day of the preparation. Now, they looked upon the day of preparation as the 14th, and the holy day, or Passover, as the 15th. I think it's interesting the way Matthew puts this. The next day that followed the day of the preparation, he doesn't call it Sabbath here, does he? He just says the day after the day of preparation. And we'll see that they call the preparation day the day that they killed Christ. Now compare that with Luke 23:54. Luke 23:54. And that day was the preparation, and the Sabbath drew on. Now Luke does call it the Sabbath, but it was the Jews' Sabbath wasn't God's Sabbath. And they're talking here about putting Christ in the sepulcher on preparation day. And the women also which came with him from Galilee followed after and beheld the sepulcher and how his body was laid and they returned and prepared spices and ointments and rested the Sabbath day according to the commandment. Now, these women were followers of Christ. But they obviously were keeping the Jewish Passover and the Jewish day up until and including this year, that year. Now what did Christ do? As I said previously, he only offered the New Testament, the New Covenant, as overnight, to twelve men. That's all. He had not shared this information with anyone else. These women were still doing it according to the custom that they had always done it. That may give you a little clue there because Mary uh, was there. Uh, let's see. No, it doesn't. It doesn't mention his mother here, does it? it? Mentions Joseph and then the women, which came with him from Galilee and followed after. Uh, may not have included his mother. But Luke didn't explain as Matthew did that it was the Jews' day, but he, he called it a Sabbath. That's okay, because they were keeping it as a Sabbath. But these women didn't know the difference at this point. Now, they found out later because the disciples went out and did what? They began to teach what Christ had done with them. 
in the years that came after that. But he only started it with a few that were on, or let's say, in the know. And then that spread to the others. So they just did what they were accustomed to doing. And that was following the uh, customs of the Jews. Now, we'll find that John, and we'll go there now, John 19, that John clarifies this. Remember that John wrote many years after Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, or uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke wrote. So Luke just referred to it as he always had. But John clarifies it. John, uh, where was I headed here now? Uh, John 19, let's go first to verse 31. The Jews, therefore, because it was the preparation that the body should not remain upon the cross on the Sabbath, for that Sabbath day was a high day, besought Pilate that their legs might be broken, that they might be taken away. Now notice verse 42, coupled with that. There laid they Jesus, therefore, because of the Jews, preparation day, for the sepulcher was near at hand. So it was the Jews' preparation day. John clarifies what Luke had said. He adds that to make sure that we understand that it wasn't just, or it wasn't a preparation day for God's Sabbath, it was a preparation day for the Jews' Sabbath. Since John wrote years later, he could see what had been said, and he could clarify it a little bit, and quite a little bit, actually. All right, now let's go into the book of John. Go into John 2. I'll just follow through the context of John. He adds quite a little to this. John 2, uh, verse 13. First time John mentions Passover at all, he calls it the Jews' Passover. Chapter 2, verse 13. And the Jews' Passover was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem and found in the temple those that sold oxen and sheep and doves. Now, the Jews' Passover was nearly there, or was coming. And he went up and showed what he thought of what the Jews were doing uh, by running everyone out of the temple. This is a very interesting context. He said, don't make my father's house a house of merchandise, verse 16. And his disciples remembered that it was written, the zeal of your house has eaten me up. Then answered the Jews and said to him, what sign show you to us, seeing that you do these things? You're running us out of the temple. What sign are you going to show us that you're the Son of God? Interesting question. Jesus answered and said to them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Then said the Jews, Forty and six years was this temple in building, and you will rear it up in three days? But he spoke of the temple of his body. When therefore he was risen from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this to them, and they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had said. Now when Jesus, now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover, in the feast day, many believed in his name when they saw the miracles which he did. Now he gave them a witness that he was the temple of God, that he would have the new covenant, that he was the sacrificial Passover from then on. When was he killed? He was killed on the 14th, and he was raised three days later. What you, are you saying something, Jonathan? What if I had a bug on my tooth or something? You were... can, can we hear? Okay. If this goes over time, you can cut this part out. Also. Uh, cut it out anyway. Now, where was my thought? Uh, his witness was that he died on the 14th. They were keeping the 15th. And... Uh, that was the example he set before them. Now, what did, the, what did the disciples remember? They remembered the scriptures and what he said. What scriptures? The only ones they had were the Old Testament. That's the only thing they could have remembered. Plus what he had said. And he did miracles on the feast day in, this particular, in that particular year. New International Version there says in verse 13, when it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. So he was a witness by when he died against the Jews' Passover, as those events would eventually play out. 
All right, let's go to John 4, verse 45. John 4, verse 45. Then when he was coming to Galilee, the Galileans received him, having seen all the things that he did at Jerusalem at the feast, for they also went up to the feast. The people in Galilee had gone to the feast. Notice chapter 5, verse 1, though, coupled here. After this was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. So it was a feast of the Jews, not necessarily the feast of God. Were they keeping on a different day? Very possibly, because John keeps talking about the Feast of the Jews. But you'll notice when we get to the Passover that Christ kept, he doesn't call it the Feast of the Jews. He calls it the Passover. John makes a difference in what he calls things. He was clearly showing years later that the Jews' Feast and the Passover Feast were different. John 6, verse 3. And the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was near. When Jesus then lifted up his eyes and saw a great company come to him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread that these may eat? I think it's interesting that he performed that particular miracle at this juncture because the Passover was coming. That was the Jews' Passover that those people were keeping. Uh, but he made a miracle of bread symbolic of him being the bread of life. That miracle accompanied the Passover season. I don't know that you can prove much one way or another from that particular one, but again, he calls it the Jews' feast. And he was addressing Jewish people and gave them the miracle of the bread. Again, I think, pointing to the fact that he would be the bread of life and the day that they should keep would be the day that he became the bread of life instead of a day later. They didn't get this, but that's my example of what he was showing here. Now let's go to John 7, verse 1. After these things, Jesus walked in Galilee, for he would not walk in Jewry. Now, John keeps calling the festivals apart from the Passover Jewish festivals. And Christ clearly shows here that he would not walk in Jewry. He did not believe in Judaism. Because the Jews sought to kill him, now the Jews' Feast of Tabernacles was at hand. Now he didn't go up to keep the feast at that time. He told his disciples to go on up and keep the feast. Now this was before the Passover when he changed the symbols. He was still alive. This is early in the book of John. Were they keeping it at the wrong time? And he didn't go, but he sent them up because he hadn't explained to them yet that they were doing it at the wrong time and told them, well, you can go ahead and go up to the feast. But he didn't go. Did he keep it differently? It says he went up and spoke about the middle of the feast. Verse 10, when his brethren were gone up, then went he also up to the feast, not openly, but as it were, in secret. And they sought him at the feast and said, where is he? And then verse 14, now about the midst of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and taught. Well, he was bound by Scripture to keep the Feast of Tabernacles, wasn't he? Certainly. But he didn't go up there when the disciples went. He went up later. And then he spoke in the middle of the feast. The feast probably overlapped that year, but they may have started at different days. The reason he didn't go up. don't know when they started, but he obviously was not in sync with them, even though he sent the disciples up. He caused them to go ahead and do what they had always done, by habit, and therefore by their conscience. Later on he would explain. But he hadn't at this point. Now let's go to John 11. John 11, verse 55. And the Jews' Passover was near at hand, and many went up out of the country up to Jerusalem before the Passover to purify themselves, then thought they for Jesus and spoke among themselves as they stood in the temple, What think you, that he will not come to the feast? Now both the chief priests and the Pharisees had given a commandment that if any man knew where he were, he should show it that they might take him. Well, that's actually what happened, isn't it? He did not allow himself to be taken until the time was right. But it wasn't at the Jews' feast. They wanted to get him killed before their feast. So they took him on the 14th. That's when he went it's when he sent Judas to betray him because he knew when it should happen. It was the Passover, and he calls it a feast. 
Now, there are still those who will say the Passover isn't a feast. But we saw in Exodus 12:14 it is a feast, and we saw that in other scriptures. So it should have come as any shock that John calls the feast of the Passover. And he makes it clear that when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world of the Father, had to be the 14th because he was killed on the 14th. And the Passover then was on the 14th. And it is called a feast by the Apostle John. All right, now let's go to John 18. John 18. I'm going through all the scriptures. I mean, there are the very clear ones, like Mark 14, 12, Matthew 26, 17, the one in Luke where it calls the first day of unleavened bread the feast. But I wanted to go all the places the Passover is mentioned, and you can see the contrast between the Passover, the Jews' Passover, the Jews' preparation, and so on. Now, in John 18... Let's pick it up in uh, verse 28. Here's where Peter had denied Christ. So they were leading Jesus from Caiaphas under the hall of judgment, and it was very early. So this was very early on the 14th, because he had had the Passover in the beginning of the 15th, and had been betrayed that night. And they themselves went not into the judgment hall, lest they should be defiled, but that they might eat the Passover. Well, now, hadn't Christ and his disciples eaten the previous night, and then they went to the garden, and then he was betrayed, and then he was beaten, then he was killed? And here, the Jews were leading him into the judgment hall. They wanted to get him killed before their Passover. Christ and his disciples had already eaten the Passover. But they wanted to eat the Passover, so they didn't want to be defiled by killing him on what was to them Passover day. The New International Version says, Then the Jews led Jesus from Caiaphas to the palace of the Roman governor. By now it was early morning, and to avoid ceremonial uncleanness, the Jews did not enter the palace. They wanted to be able to eat the Passover. And Christ had already kept it by this point. All right, let's go to verse 38 of chapter 18. Pilate said to him, What is truth? And when he had said this, he went out again to the Jews and said to them, I find in him no fault at all, but you have a custom that I should release to you one at the Passover. Will you therefore that I release you to the king of the Jews? They cried again, saying, Not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. And then they took him and scourged him. So his judgment and his death happened on the 14th at Passover season, but it was the day before. Their preparation day. Now to chapter 19. Um, let's pick this up, uh, verse 14, first of all. And it was the preparation of the Passover in about the sixth hour, and he said to the Jews, Behold your king. So this again is the 14th. Uh, where do I want to go now? Verse 31. The Jews, therefore, because it was the preparation that the body should not remain on the cross on the Sabbath day, for that Sabbath was in high day, besought Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. So here again, he was killed on their preparation day for their high, so that it would happen before their high day. It doesn't say it was God's high day here. And we've already seen from scriptures very clearly that the first day of unleavened bread is the Passover day here in the New Testament as well as many in the Old Testament. So God's holy day had already occurred and the Jews was coming. Uh, I want to go back to verse 28. Here's a very nice point. Jesus saw his mother when they were taking him. Verse 28. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, said, I thirst. Now, there was a set of vessel full of vinegar, and they filled a sponge with vinegar and put it on hyssop and put it in his mouth. And when he had received the vinegar, he said, It is finished, and he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. I want to focus there when he said, All things were now accomplished. Every symbolism, everything that was important, 
everything that he was going to do had been accomplished. And that was on the 14th when he died, before the Jews' uh, Passover even came. They had killed him, and all things were accomplished. No more symbolism was to occur. There's no night to be much observed mentioned. There's no 15th uh, uh, Holy Day mentioned. Everything that he was set, sent to do had been accomplished by the time he died at least in terms of the Passover. He could be resurrected three days later, but that's that's a different situation. doesn't have anything to do with when the Passover came. What was there to do on the 15th? Keep coming out of sin. Isn't that what they did in Exodus 12? They were thrust out the night of the 14th, and 15th came, Holy Day was over, they lined up and marched, that's all they did. What do we do on the second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh days of unleavened bread? Come out of sin, and hopefully by the time the seventh day has come, we can be delivered. There's a symbolism there of crossing the Red Sea. First Corinthians 5, I think we can tie in. It's not a defining one like Mark 14:12, which says the Passover was the first day of unleavened bread. But it's interesting the way Paul writes this, 1 Corinthians 7, or 5, verse 7. Purge out, therefore, the old leaven, that you may be a new lump, as you are unleavened, for even Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. When was he unleavened? The 14th. And it says here that you may be a new lump as you were unleavened, for even Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. So he's talking about unleavening occurred when? When Christ was killed. When he became our Passover. Therefore let us keep the feast not with old leaven, neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Christ very sincerely and in truth and in true humility gave himself for us when? On the 14th. And he became unleavened on that day. We were to take the Passover with unleavened bread and bitter herbs in Exodus 12. So when he was killed was when he became unleavened. And therefore, we are to be unleavened on that day as well. And to keep the feast. And we already know, of course, from many scriptures, that the Passover was a feast. Uh, I'm going to add, what time is it here? Better check. I've got a little time. Um, let's go to Matthew. Now, we've already seen... Matthew 27, 62. Uh, Mark 15, 42. I don't think we covered. I want to get all of these just so I don't leave any out. Mark 15, 42. Now, when the even was come, because it was the day of preparation, that is, the day before the Sabbath. Maybe we did look at that one, too. Uh, Joseph of Arimathea, Arimathea came. So, preparation day of the Jews was there, and he took care of that. And I think we covered, yeah, we covered the rest of those. Now, I want to get into something a, a little different here. Uh, I quoted before that Christ kept the 14th Passover. I think everyone understands that. We're to walk as he walked and follow his experience. Uh, what we are doing here by calling the first day of unleavened bread the Passover does not change anything that happened crucifixion week. Uh, he still was killed in the midst of the week on a Wednesday, uh, whether it was 30 or 31 A.D. or what year really doesn't make it a difference uh, in terms of understanding this. doesn't change that. He was killed on a Wednesday, Wednesday afternoon, resurrected on Sabbath afternoon, waved as a sheaf for us on Sunday before his father. It's just that the uh, day the wave sheep offering was offered that year would have been the fifth day of unleavened bread, not the fourth, because the 14th would be the first day of unleavened bread, and that would have been a Wednesday, and Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday would have been the fifth day of unleavened bread. So it only changes which day he was offered, and it, of course it changes the holy days. It changes the holy days to the 14th and the 20th instead of the 15th and the 21st. But it doesn't do anything to the resurrection week itself in terms of him being killed in the middle of the week and raised on the weekly Sabbath. 
Now, I've got something here in terms of symbolism that I want to point out. In our past understanding, we had recognized seven holy days, hadn't we? How many feasts did we recognize? Six. Just six, not seven. The feasts that we recognized, or the holy days, were the first and last days of unleavened bread, Pentecost, trumpets, atonement, first day of the Feast of Tabernacles, and then the last great day, that's seven, as we kept, that we kept as holy convocations. But we only had six feasts, unleavened bread, Pentecost, trumpets, atonement, Feast of Tabernacles, and the last great day, that's six. Now, if you call the Passover a feast, which Old and New Testament clearly do, now we have seven feasts. He separates, in Deuteronomy 16, the first day as a feast, Passover, which he calls a feast in Exodus 12:14, And then the other six days, in that sense, are a separate feast, because he does it one and six in Deuteronomy 16. And therefore, it helps explain Leviticus 23, verse 6. So now we have the feast of Passover, accompanied by the other six days of unleavened bread as a separate feast, then we have Pentecost, Trumpets, Atonement, Feast of Tabernacles, and the last great day. So we got seven feasts, seven holy days. Beautiful, isn't it? Instead of six, we got seven. We're always looking for seven, aren't we, in the church? There you have it. There's perfection in both. Now, one minister had said that we have to have eight days in the spring to match eight days in the fall of the Feast of Tabernacles, last great day, in order to keep the cemetery, the cemetery, the symmetry correct. Uh, but this same man has said that the last great day, or the eighth day of the feast, was an emergency tack-on. That God didn't know man was going to sin, so when he did, he tacked on the last great day or eighth day of the Feast of Tabernacles. We've called it two different feasts, haven't we, always? It was tacked on as a separate feast to cover the fact that man sinned, and this surprised God, is what this man says in his paper. Well, I don't think it was any surprise to God that the man sinned. Christ was foreordained to die before the foundations of the world. That's when the Passover was devised. Before man was ever even created, God knew man would sin. Well, now think a minute. If this man says it was an emergency tack-on, then the symmetry, the symmetry before the tack-on must have been correct, wouldn't it? Therefore, seven in the spring and seven in the fall. And it's his emergency tack-on that created the lack of symmetry. Follow me? Now let's look at this a little differently. Uh, Paul Muller over in South Africa sent me a letter and, and he studied this out on his own and came up with some very interesting things, most, most of which we have talked about and discussed in these last three or four sermons. But he has a different way of looking at the symmetry which causes it to come out to fit with seven days in the spring and eight days in the fall. Now, that doesn't sound on the surface like that balance is seven and eight, but let's look at it from this standpoint. You have the seven days of unleavened bread, the first of which is Passover day, and then what do you start doing during Passover? You start counting during Passover toward Pentecost. So if you link the seven days of unleavened bread with Pentecost, which are linked by the timing, by the counting, then you have eight days there. Then you have seven days of the of, uh, Feast of Tabernacles, the last great day at the end. So you have eight in the beginning of the plan and eight at the end of the plan. Now in the middle, you have one plus one, that is uh, trumpets and atonement which are linked together, because Christ returns, uh, pictured by trumpets, and then atonement, where we're joined and united with him, is one. That is then followed by the Feast of Tabernacles, which opens up salvation to the people in the millennium. 
But we, who are the first fruits, are linked together by first by Christ's sacrifice and Pentecost, which is the feast of first fruits. That only includes 144,000. Pentecost only has to do with 144,000. <laughs> Not until the Feast of Tabernacles is anyone else included in the plan of salvation. And only the first fruits then are included with trumpets and atonement. First resurrection, Feast of Trumpets. Those people are made one with Christ at atonement in symbolism. So no one else is offered salvation until after all those things have occurred. And then on the at the fall end of the plan, you have millennium, which represents salvation for those who live in the millennium, and salvation for those who come up in the great white throne judgment. But the last great day is not an eight thousand years, hundred years or thousand years in the plan of salvation. Mr. Armstrong, I believe, was correct when he said that there is a seven thousand year plan of salvation. Who comes up and is offered salvation on the last great day. People who lived at some point in the first to seventh day. So they were born and therefore included later in one of the first seven days. So the plan of salvation only includes people who were born during the first seven thousand years. They may not, some of them, get their chance until the eighth day, but the eighth day does not represent anyone being born during that time. Apparently. Now, it may. I don't know. Isaiah 65 may indicate that. <laughs> Children being born. Because it does appear that's talking about the last great day. Maybe I better not make a hasty statement here. But the vast majority of people were offered salvation during, or, or lived during the first 7,000 years. So it's a 7,000 year plan that includes people who come up on the eighth day. Was it really tacked on, or did it belong there? If you link Passover and Pentecost together, then you have one plus one in the middle, trumpets and atonement, then you have eight days at the end, you've got eight, one plus one, and eight. That's for me. Uh, I think Paul may have come up with an, <laughs> an inspiration there. But bottom line, you have seven holy days and seven feast days. Instead of six and seven, that's far more symmetrical. And that's all the New Testament says. Some very clear ones there, uh, which say that the Passover is the first day of unleavened bread. And that fits what we saw in the Old Testament. So, I don't know what there is really more to say about this. <laughs> God's Passover and God's Holy Day was obviously different than the Jews' preparation and the Jews' Holy Day. And it is clearly shown the only one that is a little unclear is Leviticus 23.6, Numbers 28. But when you combine those with Deuteronomy 16, which splits it 1 and 6, then to me that is clear too. Passover is mentioned, split off as 1 and 6, and that's what Leviticus 23, verses 5 and 6 do. So I think that gives a fairly satisfactory answer to the only scriptures that might seem to indicate different than all these others which we have read and the scriptures have to fit. So I personally accept Deuteronomy 16, 1 through 8 as something God put there or inspired Ezra to write in that way, even if it was edited by Ezra. He was ordained of God to canonize and edit the Old Testament. So I don't have a problem with that. And then I can understand how Exodus 12 and 13 uh, agree with Leviticus 23, 5, and 6, where it appears there's a contradiction when you understand all of Exodus 12 and 13. So Deuteronomy fits Exodus 12 and 13, and therefore it then begins to fit Deuteronomy 23, I mean Leviticus 23, 6. And it makes it fairly clear to me that people have been reading into Leviticus, Leviticus 23, 6 that that is the first day of unleavened bread. It doesn't say that, does it? I know what my Bible says. Go back and read it. Verse 4 of Leviticus 23, 6. These are the feasts of the Lord, even holy convocations, which you shall proclaim in their season. 
In the fourteenth day of the first month, that evening, is the Lord's Passover. That is a feast and a holy convocation. First one named in Leviticus 23. And on the fifteenth day of the same month is the Feast of Unleavened Bread to the Eternal. Seven days you must eat unleavened bread. In the first day you shall have a holy convocation. You shall do no servile work and so on. And then have uh, seven days. And the seventh day is a holy convocation. But we've already seen in Deuteronomy 16 that the first day is the day they gave the Passover. And the second day then would be uh, the fifteenth. But it does not say here that the fifteenth day is the first day of unleavened bread. You keep it a total of seven days. But he's already shown in Exodus 12:14 that the Passover itself is a feast. And he didn't say just this night or just this ceremony, but this entire day. So to me, that clears Leviticus 23:6 sufficiently that uh, it fits the rest of the scriptures, even though it is a little bit unclear. So I think we have pretty much the whole truth about Passover and Days of Unleavened Bread now, and we did keep it wrong for all those years, just as we kept Pentecost wrong for a lot of years, and just as we've kept a lot of other things wrong for a lot of years, and now it's time to get them straightened out and do them according to Scripture, not according to our tradition, which came partly from Scripture, but which ignored a lot of Scripture. So we'll conclude this series here, and... Uh, I guess that's the end of the sermon.